So the question that she asked, um, the question that she asked, what was it about insecurity and what comes to mind when just you hear that word? I'd love to hear some of your answers. Finances. Weight. <laughs> the question was, when, when I say the word, and I'm pulling forward, um, insecurity, what comes to mind for you? Unlovable. Yes. Shame. Yes. Junior high. And on. I was going to say, and onward, into today. <laughs> what else? Anxiety. Anxiety, yes. Comparison. Right. Awesome. Okay. Well, just let me start. We're, we're so excited to be here, really and truly. And this is a topic that is really near and dear to my heart and I think Mandy's heart um, because we've both struggled with insecurity. And, you know, I'm, I'm just going to start with a little bit of my own story so you kind of know where I'm coming from. And, um, yeah, just kind of go from there. I do want to say how we sort of have today set up is I'm really going to talk about, this is how it goes with Mandy and I, we've done a talk before, where I talk about the, the, the formation and the continuation of the problem, and then Mandy talks about the solution. <laughs> now, I'm kind of the problem one. This is my experience, and Mandy's like, and this is the solution. So anyway, I'm going to talk about the problem and the formation of insecurity and where that comes from, and then sort of the continuation, and Mandy is going to talk about and this is where if you want to leave in the first half, that's fine, but you need to come back for Mandy's part because this is really how do we overcome insecurity, okay? And so we're excited about that. But in my own story of insecurity, um, I, I want to say that about a year ago, I've been to CR probably four or five years ago, and about a year ago, I started to lead a group, and it was right before that that I realized that insecurity was my core struggle. And all this time I had, and I'm going to draw a picture so that you can understand this, and hopefully you'll kind of know what I'm drawing. Jonathan, that is? Yes, the iceberg. Okay, and so underneath here was insecurity, but up here body image. That was the beginning, and and here's the thing: is that these are the things that are above the surface that you see. Okay, so early on in my story. Um, in, appearance was important, and it was a, it was important for. Um, I guess there was a placed a lot of value on that, and so I began to deal with food and exercise from an early early age. Um, so that was the first thing. The second thing was when I was 14, um, I found my brother's pornography, and it was gay pornography, and so out of that, and just sort of all that went with that, created an insecurity about my sexual identity. Um, something about finding it and seeing it and how my body responded to it and all these things created insecurity for me. And um, so sort of a sexual identity. And then I began to, out of that, again, what's above the surface is prove to myself by 
being promiscuous and acting out. So above the surface, you saw all this behavior that was trying to cover up the insecurity. Okay? So then, and I'm just kind of picking my core things, codependency. See, a year ago, I would have said, I'm a believer who struggles with codependency. So codependency, the people-pleasing, the I need affirmation. Um, in my former life, I just left a counseling practice. And so I realized about halfway into that that... Um, what I actually did for a living was to help people. <laughs> Codependency. You know, and so again, it's like, wow, this is really playing out here. But that's what was, about. I, I got my affirmation growing up in, in our home really from helping and being a helper. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with being a helper. And even, by the way, God uses and redeems that. You know, what a great thing, just so you know. He restores the years the locusts have eaten. Um, so it, in my codependency, um, that was the third sort of main thing. And then the last thing was just friends. I was very insecure with my friends. My friends weren't very nice. I wasn't very nice either, so not to blame them. Um, but, but this was really what was going on on the surface. But what was underneath was insecurity. And, and that's what I just I want I want to talk about right now is and uh, Mandy and I were sort of we were laughing we're like we're gonna just we're not gonna plagiarize because we're gonna tell you that some of this information is coming from Beth Moore's book. I think she does a great job in chapter five and six of talking about some of the origins and where insecurity is formed. Okay, and I'm just gonna list out a handful of these, and I'd encourage you to get the book and read it because I think it's worth the read. It has a lot of great stuff in there. But the first thing that she talks about is instability in the home. So if you grew up in an alcoholic home and there was an environment where there was chaos and uncertainty, you learned early on that you that no one was gonna come through for you. There was an insecurity that I've got to make it on my own. So an instability in an environment growing up that creates chaos and uncertainty creates insecurity. Okay, so that's the first thing she lists. The second thing she lists is if, you know, growing up in your home, if you had a significant loss. You know, if you lost someone, there was a death um, of a family member or a friend or, you know, maybe a pet. I don't know. But just anything that, that can kind of create that insecurity. The, the third thing is rejection, and she goes into you know a little detail about that. And then um, she talks about any dramatic change, and I would probably include divorce in there. And again, that creates uncertainty, insecurity. And then uh, fourthly, she talks about personal limitations. And one of the examples that she talks about is just somebody who's handicapped. Somebody who's special needs, somebody who, who has issues that, you know, people focus on, that they focus on. Um, and it was actually interesting. She tells a great story in there about this man who has these insecurities. And, and because he worked through those, that wound up being like his platform for, um, I can't even remember how she said it, but it was like he was more free than she was because of this insecurity and having worked through it. And so it was just a real neat story. I did terrible justice on, on that, so you'll have to go read that yourself. But, um, and then lastly, she talks about this, and I think this is really key because it helped me realize, I almost want to go back to my parents and tell them, it talks about personal disposition. The prior four or five of them are all about hardship and scars that have happened to you, but this last one is really more about your wiring. 
Okay, and, and what the, the truth is, is that I'm a very sensitive person. Um, I get my feelings hurt pretty easily, and um, I didn't know that growing up, but I grew up in a home where my mom is probably not real sensitive. In fact, she and I had a good conversation recently, and she was like, I probably didn't do you justice because I let some of the things your dad says roll off my back. That doesn't bother me. And, but, but then when I cried or had my feelings hurt, he's like, oh, you're being too sensitive. You know, kind of, he wanted to toughen me up. And so I never felt like it was okay to have my feelings. And not intentionally. He didn't know any differently, but I had two brothers, and then there was me, and then there was my mom. And so I was sensitive. And so I um, just felt like my sensitivities, it was like I had to learn to kind of just put up that wall and toughen up and be okay. When I wasn't okay. And so what wound up happening is I wound up with this shell, a wall, that was like... No one comes in. No one's going to hurt me. Stay out. Um, and what I love that Beth Moore said, and I can totally relate to this, because when she said it, I was like, that's me. She said, she goes, I, can't dry, I can't walk by a squashed toad without it hurting my heart. And it, I'm, I'm that way. Like, I escort all animals except for roaches out of my house, all bugs. And, and other people's houses, too. Yeah, other people's She's like, no, it needs to go well, I just, I'm like, it, but it's, and that's so dorky, and I don't know, and it's not, that's not a theological whatever, but it just, I, I just, I just like, oh, they have their place, and oh, I feel sorry for them, so I want to, and, but I realize, I'm like, oh, that's just a sensitivity in me, and that's okay, and do I need to learn to not be as sensitive? Yes, I do on some things for sure, but is it okay also to celebrate that God heard me that way? And that, yeah, I do need to kind of go, okay, I need to not let every, there's a, 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 a scripture in Ecclesiastes that says, um, basically, don't listen to every word that a man says that comes out of his mouth. You know, and it's like sometimes I need to let some things roll off my back. So personal disposition is a part of the insecurity. So regardless of the fact that appearance was important growing up, my parents' comments about body image and food and eating and exercise, they, because of my wiring, hit me a lot harder than maybe they would have if I wasn't wired that way. Okay, so these are all just things to consider in terms of the formation of insecurity. Now, the second thing, and and this is one of the things, I I put it in a little bit different category than Beth does. Beth puts pride in the category of sort of the formation of insecurity, and I think pride, and not to, I'm not going against what she says, but just in my idea, I think pride is part of the formation because it's part of who we are in our fallen state, but it's part of the continuation and how we stay stuck there. Okay, and so, um, and I'm just going to read a, a little bit um, this passage in Daniel 4:30. It says, "He said," and this is talking about, um, I think it's King Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, it's King Nebuchadnezzar. It says he said, "Is this not the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power for the glory, for my glory and for my majesty, for the glory of my majesty?" Okay, and so it was like, it's like this, um, look at everything I have done. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I've done with my skills, my abilities, um, for my glory. And so when I think of pride, like that, that's a pretty good picture of pride, right? I am on the throne. I'm on the throne. And what I really want is my way and my glory, <laughs> 
Okay. And so I just want to do a little bit of a definition of what pride is. And Todd, uh, he talked a little bit about pride. It's been several months ago. But he said, pride is me thinking I know better than God. Okay, and so I would also say that it's my way is best. It's in this situation maybe where I feel like God's convicted me that I need to apologize to someone and own something I did. It's me going, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I don't think I need to do that. I'm going to turn the other way from what I know is, from what I feel like God is telling me in his word and maybe what he's convicting me to do, but my way is best, and so I'm going to walk this way. That's pride. It's me on the throne. It's I want to be, and does anyone relate to this, I want to be the favorite. Right? I want to be the best. I want to be the number one. I want to be the prettiest. And, and actually, Beth Moore talks about it. It's not I want to be a favorite. It's I want to be the favorite. Right? That's pride. I want to be at the top. Um, a friend of mine said it this way, and I think it's great because it captured really my heart. I want to be somebody's number one. I want to be on the throne of someone else's heart. It's me thinking about me. Um, and, and that's really where it came down for me is in my own healing it, over the last several years. And I would say this is sort of the last piece for me. Uh, that sounds like I'm through, and I don't mean that. It, it was sort of it was a, a linchpin for me of understanding how I was stuck in my insecurity is I didn't realize that my thoughts were self-consumed. This is all about me. And, you know, it's all about me in that my thoughts are just about me. Me, 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 me. It's all about me. Everything's about me. The way you said that hurt my feelings. The way you said that made me feel insecure. The way you did that, I didn't like that. Everything is about me. That's pride. Okay, and so um, it's and, and what I when I when I realize that insecurity is a reversed form of pride, then I realized I had a pride problem, not an insecurity problem. There is insecurity for sure, and that's one of the things. But I need to add underneath the tip of the iceberg to insecurity, pride. Insecurity is. Thinking about me, I've heard the definition, if humility isn't thinking less of myself, meaning, oh, poor me, I'm so pitiful, it's thinking about myself less often. It's getting my eyes off of me. Pride and insecurity keep my eyes focused on me. They keep my eyes turned inward not upward and not outward. So the primary word for me is just how much do I think about me? And that's where I realized I'm playing a big role in staying stuck in my insecurity by keeping myself, by focusing on me. So excessive thought about me, whether it is grandiose or whether it is insecure, is all pride. And so those are sort of the things that are, okay, so there's the formation of it, and then there are the things that keep us stuck. And then, um, so for me, and again, this is an exhaustive list, by the way. These are just the things I feel like kind of God showed me, maybe from my experience and his word, so I'm sure that there are other things. But so, so there's pride. And then the second thing is, and it's similar in nature, is idolatry. And there's a quote, and I love this. It's from, and I'm going to give you this in case you want it. It's from an article called Getting to the Heart of Conflict. And it's at www.peacemaker.net. 
It is one of the best articles I have ever read for dealing with conflict and recognizing that conflict starts in your heart because you are on the throne. Okay, and so, but in this, this definition is so great. Idolatry. Most of us think of an idol as a statue of wood, a stone, or metal worshipped by pagan people. But the concept is actually much broader than that and far more personal. An idol is anything, anything apart from God that we depend on to be happy, fulfilled, or secure. So anything that you look to for your security is an idol apart from God. That in and of itself encompasses the problem. When I turn to food to deal with my insecurity or men to deal with my insecurity or significance or getting props for teaching or whatever, if I turn to anything apart from God for security, that is idolatry. It is something else is going to fix what is going on in my heart apart from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's idolatry. It says in biblical terms, it is something other than God that we set our heart on that motivates us that masters us, that rules us, or that we trust, fear, or serve. In short, it is something we love and pursue in place of God. Okay, um, there's a book called Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave. And um, it's been an instrumental book in helping me kind of think through, like, how do addictions begin? And I love this definition. It says, the true nature of all addictions is that we go outside the kingdom of God and look for blessing in the land of idols. Okay, let me unpack that. Um, We go, when I turn, when I am lonely, I'm 42 and single, So I have moments of loneliness. Um, When I am lonely and I turn to food out of that loneliness, that is how addictions begin. Okay? So when I turn to, when I feel insecure, that is, and I turn to something else apart from God, that is how addictions begin. Okay, and that's important because when we feel insecure and how we stay stuck is that instead of going, Lord, help me, and turning to him and his truth and his word, we turn to a friend or we turn to a thing or to an outfit or to a purse or to, uh, you know, our reputation to find security. And all that does is keep us stuck in the cycle. Okay, and that leads me to um, the, the last thing that I'm going to talk about is just, I feel like it's pride, um, idolatry, and then some of our patterns keep us stuck. Okay, and the pattern that I want to, to draw is just this, and it's basically what I said. It's sort of the, when I turn to something else apart from God to, to deal with my insecurity, then I stay stuck in this cycle. Okay, and my counselor drew this for me. Okay, and um, okay, so here, 
right here is the scene. Okay, and I'm going to use uh, I'm going to use an alcoholic just because that's sort of an easy one in the bar. Um, but okay, so there's the scene. You start with the scene. You're at work, or or okay, let's say you're at home and you've got kids and you are stressed out. Right? And all you cannot wait until that moment when your husband gets home so you can pass those kids off and go, I am out of here. Right? Y'all can relate. I can tell. This is good. Okay. So you've got this scene of your husband coming in the door and you passing those kids off. Right? Okay. So you've got a scene in your mind. And maybe part of that scene includes, I'm going to go exercise or I'm going to go out and have a drink with a friend. Or whatever. Okay? So then, the event occurs. Okay? And when the event occurs, um, your husband walks in the door, and you're like, okay, I'm off. And I'm going to go exercise, or I'm going to go do the fast food, or I'm going to go buy an outfit, or I'm going to go be with a friend and have a drink. Okay? So that happens. So then the next thing is, do you know what that is? Okay, how long does that last? 30 seconds, 5 seconds. It doesn't last very long, right? Okay, next. Okay, by the way, exercise is in here if you're misusing it. Exercise is a great thing, don't get me wrong, but used improperly keeps you here. Okay, so guilt and shame is what happens after you have misused something. Okay, so then after guilt and shame, after I just went and had some ice cream because I was feeling insecure, and I have guilt and shame, what is my next, what's my next thought? Where am I going after that? What's that? Blame. Blame. Okay, good. Brooke blames. That's good. That's okay. I've got blame too. I got, I got that. Yes. And what do I do to feel better again? That's right. Okay. So uh, the answer here is what is referred to as penance. So, for example, in the food example, maybe I'm like, well, I'm just going to go run it off. I'm going to go and do this. Um, I'm going to go and I'm going to work harder. And I want you to hear that word work. Works based. I'm going to work my way back up in proper standing with God. I, I am going to make it right. Okay? And so I'm going to pay penance. And this is, God is so good. Like if you want to, he is the answer to every problem that you have. He is. And the answer actually is not penance, but it's repentance. Lord, forgive me that when I had this scene in my mind and the event came that I didn't go, Lord, I need to go be with you. I need to turn to you. I feel insecure in this moment. And I keep wanting to go back to insecurity because this is about how you stay stuck in your insecurity. In this moment, I turned to something else to fill in me something that it can't fill. It will never work. Exercise will never solve the problem of insecurity with body image. Um, Acting out sexually will never solve the problem with a sexual identity crisis. Um, Eating will never solve the problem of, you know, 
dealing with your feelings and dealing with your insecurity. None of those things will ever solve that. But God, but God, is the one that will solve the problem. And so when we turn outside toward other things, that is how we wind up from penance to, okay, I did well, I did well, I'm doing so good. And, oh, where do we wind up? Back here. In an hour or three hours or a day. Okay? And so, again, staying stuck. There's, there's pride. There's idolatry. And then there's just sort of this cycle and these patterns that we get into. And just the last thing that I would say, for me in um, dealing with my insecurity, over through my CR process I just went through in this last year, a friend, my co-leader actually said these words. It was so great. And it unlocked for me one of the habits that I had that was keeping me stuck. And the habit was this. It was dwelling on. Dwelling on. It was my eyes dwelling on, my thoughts dwelling on, whether it's my body, whether it's my singleness, whether it's my whatever. It's me dwelling on that. And I just want to read to you this passage. And I don't want to steal Mandy's thunder, but surely I get to bring one piece of good news. Um, uh, Philippians? Okay, Um, okay. I did double check. Philippians 4, 4 through 8. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, this think of it, think in terms of the cycle you get in. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about your insecurities. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And here's the antidote to what my issue, the dwelling. Finally, Cynthia, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And, and when I realized that I had this pattern of dwelling on not Philippians 4, 8, but dwelling on my insecurities and how I was feeling and how I was hurt and how I was all these things, it like unlocked this, oh my gosh, I'm a big part of why I'm stuck. Because I'm not... Going, I'm going outside of God's ways. Remember to live in the land, looking for blessing in the land of idol. I'm outside of God's ways. His ways say, hey, focus here. And I don't mean to be in denial about your hurt. Don't hear that. That's a whole different talk for a different day. Um, but it's like, hey, focus here. Don't. And you know what I do now? Like if I have like thoughts about body image I've had a lot lately, it's like, Lord, I repent. I have a body that works. That functions. I have a behind to sit on that holds me. You know? And it's not the best looking behind and I'm not thrilled about it. But I repent. I've got one that works. You know? And so it's like I repent that I'm focused on my insecurity and not on your goodness to me. All yours. I know. I feel like Yes, you need this. Um, let me turn this on. Okay, no, 
do both these at the same time? Okay. Um, because I want Cynthia to be able to kind of contribute with me. We thought it would probably be more confusing if we presented two problems. <laughs> because I have plenty. Um, but for her to weigh in... On, on this as well. Is that good, Christy? Okay. Um, lest you think I don't have problems, because I do, um, mine actually, my insecurity looks a lot like Cynthia's as far as body image, things like that. I grew up um, in a single parent home. My, my parents got divorced when I was My parents were separated for several years before they actually got divorced. And so, really, my dad was out of the home probably by the time I was five or six. And um, I had a mom that um, is perfectly, what's that word, coiffed? coiffed? How, do you, how do you say that? Coiffed. Thank you. I'm from Oklahoma. And so, um, I did graduate from college, though. And, uh, I mean, perfect to the hair, to the makeup, to the dress. And so I was, um, for, for a adventurous is my new word for girls who are um, risk takers and um, athletic and all the words that um, I think my daughter will probably be as well. Um, I think I was a, kind of a bee in my mom's bonnet that I didn't want to look perfect like that. And um, so that was a lot of where my insecurity came from growing up, and, and I used food to over, overcome that. So the thing that I want to talk about in dealing with our insecurity and dealing with the solution for insecurity, yeah, let's take that off and, and do the African way and put it over there on the, on the end, is... And, and I'm going I'm to go from this premise in that insecurity is not overcome by doing things right. It's not overcome by doing things right. And that's our tendency, isn't it? Our tendency is in dealing with our insecurity is if I could just do this right, I would be, in, I would be secure. If I could just do this right, I would be secure. But insecurity has got to be transformed and it's got to be, the truth about insecurity is truth. It's got to be transformed by truth and God's truth and being secure in God's truth. And I'm going to put up four different things, and I'll write them down here first so you guys know where I'm headed. Being secure about the truth about ourselves. All right, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit first. That goes back really to the, our identity and what that looks like. And um, being secure about our past. Okay? And being secure about our feelings. And then being secure about others. So we're going to paint the foundation, and then kind of move up from there. All right. As we're secure about our identity, and, and let me tell you, there are two significant um, books besides God's Word 
that I think speak to this. Kind of the, the new going one, as Cynthia talked about, is the Beth Moore book. It is a phenomenal, phenomenal book. So Long in Security. Here it is. I'm sh- I will shamelessly, I'm sh- I've shamelessly stolen a lot of my material from there, as, as you know, Cynthia has and hasn't. I mean, you, a lot of your stuff is what she's developed. And you've, I, you know, I don't want to toot anybody's horn, but I will. Um, Cynthia's, this is a significant area that the Lord has given us the privilege to work through in each of our lives. Um, you know, and we met a long time ago, 10 years ago, um, and it's just been really fun and a privilege for me to walk alongside you and vice versa. So um, it, it's really, it, if you've ever, you know, have, if you haven't listened to her body image stuff, it's phenomenal. It's great. A lot of the past stuff that she and Jennifer Klaus spoke on on Thursday night, a lot of that stuff. And even just recently you spoke a couple of weeks ago on Pride um, you know, for the Wednesday morning study and Thursday night study. So, another book, and this is an oldie but goodie, Search for Significance. It's a great book. It's probably in its 10th printing or something like that. It is a great book by Robert McGee. And if you've never been through this book, it is a phenomenal book. And it will take you through a lot of your insecure situations. Um, Okay, so back to not overcoming, not doing it right but being transformed by the truth, okay? And the first thing I want to talk about is our identity and our identity being made in the image of God, going back all the way to the beginning in Genesis. We've got to go back to the beginning. And what Genesis said is that we are made in the image of God. And, and that in itself is phenomenal. Nothing we've done or haven't done changes that we are made in the image of the triune God our reflection if you'll think with me um, if, if you're looking into a mirror that is a reflection of yourself it's not the real you it is a reflection but it sure looks a lot like you and that's who we are we are God's reflection we are God's reflection. And, and nothing we do or don't do changes that. And, and that is a hard concept to grasp, but it's very important because God, that is what deems us valuable. Whoever you are, I don't care who you are, I don't care where you live, what you have on, anything, that is your value. You are valued because you are God's creation. Greatest creation, it says in verse 31 of uh, chapter 1. And then some of the other passages that go along with this, Psalm 8, talks about being crowned with glory and honor. We are made a little lower, if you're in the Wednesday study, we are made a little lower than the angels. We are given authority over the animals. We are crowned with glory and honor. What does that look like in your lives? Not how does your husband treat you, how do your kids respond to you, what kind of job you have, what kind of friends you have, but crowned with glory and honor because you're God's. Not because of anything anyone has said or done for you or to you, but because you're God's. You are crowned with glory and honor. 
you know, and then you go back to Psalm 139, which is a very powerful verse and chapter talking about how you're fearfully and wonderfully made, how he knows the thoughts before you think them. Huge. So I'm going to suggest to you that if you can have some of those verses, some of those chapters in your hip pocket, those are going to help you deal with Identity crisis, identity insecurity, those types of insecurities, whatever it looks like. But when it comes back to the pointing of you, and that's where your insecurity comes from, those are the things that I'm going to really encourage you to go back to. You know, and so those are all unredeemed passages. Okay? And then, then we're redeemed. Okay? If you have trusted Christ and His blood to fulfill the wage you know, that we have to pay because we are sinners. If you have trusted Christ and you have accepted His blood to transform your life, then there's a whole slew of other verses. Robed with His righteousness, the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Those types of verses. Um, those are the things that we have got to remember. We've got to recall immediately to our mind and to our hearts to deal with our insecurity of self. Okay? So the first thing is ourselves. We've got to deal with ourselves. Then let's go to our past. Okay. So, and what I'm talking about, when I, let me clarify. When I'm talking about those four things, the triggers that may hit you that pull you back to the insecurity of self. The trigger that may hit you that pull you back to the insecurity of your past. Okay? Um, So dealing with your past. And Cynthia touched on this a little bit, which I think is huge. When we think about our past, we've got to think about confession and forgiveness. Okay? Okay? Confession and forgiveness. Our secrets are going to keep us in that cycle that Cynthia talked about. So we've got to get it out. We've got to get it out. And the first person you've got to get it out to is the Lord. And I know sometimes that's really difficult. Um, I can remember when I was young and I realized that I had a real significant insecurity about performance. If my performance wasn't good and I felt that rejection or um, unacceptance from people, boy, I, I would just go down and spiral and, and just feel horrible about myself. That whole guilt and shame that someone, I think, said over here. And, and so I think we have to be careful that we don't, we catch ourselves before that spinning downward. And our past can really make us that if we don't see our past as forgiven. So when you're dealing with your past, let me, let me suggest you a couple of passages. The passage in Hebrews, and um, I want to read it because it describes the Lord in, in Hebrews 4. And this really was a significant passage for me when I was dealing with the insecurities of my past. Hebrews 4.13 And it says, um, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare 
to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Since, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, and that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And I grew up um, in the Episcopalian church, and very performance-driven church, and and really set apart um, the the priest was very set apart from the people and um, there wasn't a lot of relationship there it was much more religiosity and if, if you grew up in a church similar to that I don't know that it depends on denomination that's just what I experienced it may be across denominational bounds in some areas um, and when I accepted Christ um, and then started going back to church, there was a real barrier, I felt like. The relationship, I was like, I just, it, it just isn't clicking for me relationally. And so I ended up doing a little church hopping, and, and it was really sweet of, I think, the Lord to help me understand that, that Jesus is my high priest. Jesus wants that relationship with me. He is filled with grace and wants me to be able to see that as an open door because of him. And that's where if we get caught in that performance piece and that feeling of needing that approval um, from people, whether it be a pastor, whether it be someone that you think, you know, higher of than yourself, we have to be really, really careful that that performance doesn't get us caught in an insecurity, if I'm just this, then I'll be, I'll be accepted. If I'm just this way, then I'll be accepted. Rather than to see the, the, the ground, the terminology that I use sometimes is the ground at the foot of the cross is level. It is level. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And basically what your past does is it tells you, I need Jesus. I need Jesus to cover this sin. And sometimes we have to keep going back there to remember that you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. Don't overcome. Be transformed. Don't overcome your past. Be transformed because of your past. And we are transformed by our past through the blood of Christ. Through the forgiveness of Christ. And a couple of passages that I really want you guys to remember that Hebrews passage and then and then the Romans 5 8 passage that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us while we were yet sinners he, he knows your past and he still loves you and died for you it's funny my daughter Hope um, as we talk about Bible stories and God and she's kind of getting spiritually sensitive she's very quick to tell me I don't know God yet and I don't love God yet very quick to tell me that and I tell her that's okay Hopi because he loves you he loved Hope before she was born and it's so hard I think it's easy for us to understand that for our children I think it's more difficult to understand that for us because of what we know about what we've done Right? So again, you're letting your past creep in. You have to be really, really careful of that. And really see yourself as forgiven. 
So first, identity. See yourself the way God sees you in your identity. Secondly, see, the way, see yourself the way God sees you as forgiven. It is done. It has been paid for. And then transformed. So you're not only forgiven, but you're also transformed. Galatians 2.2. 2. Galatians 2.2. 2. Here's a, big, a significant one. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. And put your name in there. Personalize scriptures. It is no longer Mandy Bagdanoff who lives, but Christ who lives in Mandy. The life Mandy lives now in the flesh. Mandy lives by faith in the Son of God who loves Mandy and delivered himself up for Mandy. It's a great passage to personalize, to remember, again, you are transformed because of Christ. Galatians 2.20. Thank you. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man or woman is in Christ, you are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Romans 5.1. And there's, I mean, I'm just kind of touching... A couple of scriptures that are significant, but there's a gangload out there. Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Don't you want to have peace with your past? It comes through God. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. So it comes from God through Jesus. Peace with your past. And then Colossians 1, 21 and 22, talking about the evil deeds versus the righteous. Let me read it. This is Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And although you were formally alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, there's our past, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Is that great? That's great news. Holy and blameless and beyond reproach. How different would we be if we saw ourselves that way? Holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's who we are in Christ, y'all. Okay. Have I beat that drum enough? (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about feelings. Feelings. This is going to be real practical, and I'm going to draw a little bit on this. Because I, I, like Cynthia, that, um, I want to pull that. Thank you. Like Cynthia, um, the addiction cycle that she talked about. I'm a little simpler than that. I have two words, action and reaction. Okay? And I'm going to use an example. And, And a lot of my insecurity now, just to share with you guys, a lot of my insecurity comes from, as I know a lot of you guys do as young moms, comes from hope. Okay? My sweet daughter and what she is or isn't doing and how I feel about that. And so, hence feelings. So, 
this summer, Hopi got potty trained, okay? And um, it was really great. And she did a phenomenal job. But I am, I'm just going to confess you right now, and here are two of my dearest friends. What do you know about Mandy Bagdanoff? Does she do details well? No, she does not do details well at all. And potty training is kind of some details. got some details to it. Like you have to remember to take them to the bathroom to help them. That's something that sometimes I just forgot. And so when Hope would, I know you're laughing, but it's the truth. When Hope would wet her pants, what do you think my reaction was? Total self condemnation. Oh my gosh, I forgot to take her to the bathroom. It was all about me, as Cynthia talked about in the whole, you know, beginning cycle. So I had I had the guilt and shame going pretty good. Because that is the hard thing for me. And again, that, that goes back to a little bit of my past as well. You know, not growing up in a believing home. Um, my if my performance wasn't what my mom thought it would be, you know, I was I was bad. So, um, so anyway, the whole guilt and shame, the reaction. And guess, guess who taught me to react better? Anybody ever do Elmo potty time? <laughs> what, is, what is the greatest thing ever? Accidents happen. Accidents happen. That's okay. And I was like, that's it. I've got, I've got to be okay with accidents. I've got to be okay with accidents. So, so, that, so that helped. That helped. I'm biblical, but accidents happen. Okay, there's the grace, the grace for Hopi. Okay, accidents happen. So there's my, so my reaction got better. My reaction got better. But where my guilt and shame still had a place to go. So here's the deal. Here's where I think we have a tendency to go with our feelings. We either go to guilt and shame or, and Cynthia talked about this a lot, we go to pride and performance. Okay? So, with our feelings, no one's going to be able to read this, I don't know why I'm writing it. Um, We can go to guilt and shame or pride and performance. Because doggone it, if I, and that's my tendency, I I can remember this. I can set the the timer on the, you know, the kitchen oven or whatever, and every 30 minutes, I can take Hope to the bathroom. I can do this. I, I, I. And boy, when she gets potty trained... Get yourself a little pat on that back. You did it, Foss. Come on. That was awesome. So there's a danger. There's insecurity in both of those things, just like Cynthia talked about. Self over here and self over here. So where, how do we deal with our feelings of insecurity? How do we deal with them? We've got to get the truth back out, gals. We've got to get the truth back out. So, truth in the action and reaction, feelings are okay. I'll beat that drum until until it's dead. And feelings tell us a lot about ourselves. That's how we get to know each other. How we feel. I mean, and and that's I think that's really sweet for Cynthia. You know, the whole real the realization of that she's just she's sensitive, and that that's okay. And guess who tends not to be sensitive? We're very, I mean, on that realm, we're very, I let, I'm more like her mom. I let things roll a little bit off my back. And I don't know why, that's just how God made me, you know. And so I have to be probably very conscious 
um, more conscious, and that's the gift that the Lord does as he brings people into our lives like Cynthia, my husband, my daughter, um, you know, more sensitive to help me with that sensitivity. And so, but how do we deal with our feelings in that arena? Well, we've got to be transformed by truth. And I have to remember, in those situations, with hope especially, I have to remember that God gave me hope. I didn't do, I, you know, I didn't do anything to deserve hope. Nothing to deserve that sweet, sweet child. God gave me hope. And God promises to equip us for every good work. Is being a parent a good work? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is being a friend a good work? Absolutely. He will equip you for every good work. And, and despite, you know, how we feel. And, and not despite, but in spite and because of. Because that we bring to the table, Cynthia, in my friendship with Cynthia, she brings to the table a great perspective for me. And vice versa. And vice versa. And we have to respect, and that goes back to the whole identity thing, which we talked about in Genesis 1. We've got to see people as valuable. And I'm getting, I'm, So these next two are going to bleed a little bit into each other, talking about feelings and talking about others, because that... That's a lot of where our feelings come from is when we interact with others. So I've got to see Cynthia as valuable. I can't discount how she feels. I can't discount how Hope feels or Leonard feels or my mom feels or or whoever feels. That's who they are. That's who God created. I've got to see them like I see myself from Genesis 1, from Psalm 8, from Psalm 139. That's how we interact with people. And, and, and so that's important. In dealing with feelings, we've got to remember that we are equipped for that. There's a couple of others. So that comes from, what, Ephesians 2.10 or, or Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6, right? Just kidding. Yeah. He, and then Philippians 1.6 for I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So he promises that. You know what? I, I make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Um, and in parenting, it is, it's been interesting because marriage was an easier go in than parenting for me. And I think a lot of that because with parenting, I think a lot of my triggers came with my mom. And, and so I think it was very natural for them to come up again with hope. Um, and then the fear that kind of goes along with that in I want to do it right. Instead of I want to be transformed, I want to do it right. And that's where I've had to go back to the middle and be transformed by the truth rather than focus on works. Okay? So... He who began a good work, salvation, he promises to complete it through the sanctification process. And whatever that looks like for us, whether it be your marriage, whether it be your children, whether it be your, your weight. You know what? I'm 45 and a half. I'll be 46 in February. This body does not respond 
to exercise and eating right the way it used to. Every five years. Do you feel that? How, are you 45, Millie? <laughs> are you 45? She's almost 49. And you look great. Let me tell you, you look great. Didn't she look great? She looks great. Three kids later, right? And so I hope I can look like you at 49. Um, you know, that's just what every kind of every five years for me, it's been like, wow, everything just kind of shifts down. About every five years, it just kind of gets even lower and lower. It's going to end up in my ankles, I'm sure, one day. But it's just, it, you know, it's just, it just cracks me up. And my husband, let me tell you, Leonard Bagdanoff is the greatest guy. He's like, oh, per- perfect. You're perfect. Cynthia and I were comparing bottoms the other day. She was making a joke about her bottom and that she had one she could sit on. And she goes, let me see your bottom. And I was like, here, it's huge. I feel like it's huge. And it's just, that's just, you know, that's just life. You know? And, and so that's where I think we have to be careful that our feelings about ourselves aren't based on on that. Uh, I'm glad I could bring a little little, little char- uh, cheer to your life today. Um, now, and the key is practical, very practical. I don't even want to write anymore. I'm done. The key, the practical piece of feelings is it is so easy to spiral down. Okay, into that guilt and shame, that condemnation, and Beth Moore talks a lot about this in her book. In fact, I want to read you what she says. She talks about spiraling upward. Oh, Beth Moore does. And um, it's really good because it's, I think it's just a great word picture for us because I think we've all been in that downward spiral of humiliation or self-condemnation is what she calls it. Um, she says, here's the good news. We can spiral up instead by choosing to have a different reaction. Even prior to having a different emotion, we can affect an immediate sense of heightened security. The reaction leads to a feeling, and the new feeling leads to more consistent reaction. The result, we spiral up. And, and I want, I, that's very important for us to realize because it is not taking our feelings out of the equation at all. And, and let me, I mean, y'all, we are made women. We are feeling people. God is not saying women don't feel. He's not saying that. He's not saying that. But what he is saying is that if we put truth in front of it so that our feelings have the possibility to be different, and, and, and not that, so in, in the situation with Hope and potty training, it is, I don't, you know, I don't want to react in a way that is not in line with the event. Okay, so the action, it's a bummer. It's a bummer that you, you wet your pants, Hopey. You know, accidents happen. It's a bummer. Let's go change. Let's go change your your panties, your undies. Chones is what we call them in our house. Sorry for anybody that that is not a good word. I don't know. It's my husband. So it's okay. It's okay. And basically, what we're saying to our children, what we're saying to ourselves, is that to respond in disappointment is. It's, okay. it's disappointing. You missed it this time. That's okay. You're going to get another chance. 
extend the grace that you need and your child needs and move forward. Don't get stuck. And Cynthia talked a lot about that, which I thought was great. Don't get stuck in that cycle. Spiral up instead of spiraling down. Again, the truth is accidents happen. She's two and a half. She's two and a half. She's an overachiever. Um, and, and so don't get stuck in that downward spiral. Expose that feeling, those feelings to truth so that the reaction can potentially be different or, or shorter. You know, again, Cynthia talked about the dwelling on things. You know, what, what would happen to all of us if we dwelt on the scripture, Philippians 4, that Cynthia talked about, rather than, oh my gosh, my house is a mess, dinner's not ready, my child looks pitiful, I haven't even been outside today, I look pitiful. If we dwell on those things, what would happen if we dwelt here on Philippians 4? And not so what? You know, we look like that. That's my tendency. Is, yeah, that's just it. This is just, this is just it. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Leo. This is what you got today. Not to dwell there either because I can do that for sure. I'm, I'm the, remember, I'm the other side of, of this equation. So, so, again, dealing with your feelings. Now, dealing with others spiraling up. Dealing with feelings is spiraling up rather than down. Dealing with others is really important. And I'm going to go on more of an agape love level rather than, but I'm going to include husbands, friends, employers, kids, older kids probably. The comparison has got to stop, y'all. It's got to stop. That's, I mean, when we think about others, it, it, it kills us. Comparison kills us. And that will create so much insecurity, you'll never be able to get out of bed. Because you know what? Let me tell you, there's always going to be someone out there that's better than or more than. And there's going to be someone that's less than. So either you can see everybody the way God sees them or nobody. And that's just, it's just going to get you, it's just going to get you stuck. So, um, and, and here is where I think we've got to ask for the Spirit's help. And the Spirit to transform our hearts. I think of Galatians 5. Okay? And all the way through that passage, so it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Then it talks about bearing one another's burdens. So you're transformed by the Spirit, and then you can get outside yourself and help others. Okay? And that is a key passage for us up here to understand because it works out practically through our lives, which is awesome. Galatians 5:22 through 6:10. I'm not going to read it because I do. I think we want probably time for some questions, and so I'm going to go a little bit quicker. And then the Philippians 2, 3, and 4 verse. Think of others more important than yourself. And you know, so when we think of others, in loving others. Serving others, we have got to end the comparison because our friendships, if they're, so, so if my premise in the beginning, it's not, insecurity is not cured by doing it right with others, insecurity is not cured by them doing it right either. So if you're insecure about your relationship with your spouse, 
guess what? Your security is, your security is not going to come if they do it right. If you're going to wait for them to do it right, you've got a long wait. You've got a long wait. And that's in friendships too. In community, you know, we beat the community drum pretty well here. But if you're waiting for your community to love you right, you've got a long wait. You've got a long wait. You're going to be insecure in those relationships for a long time. For a long time. We have got to be transformed by truth. And I'm looking at Galatians 5 and Philippians 2 for that transformation through His Holy Spirit within you. So that you can be loved and love others. Okay? See that transformation come through the Spirit working in you. And, and that's what's so great. I am not... The last verse... The last word in that verse is self-control. That is... I, that's just not me. Self-control is not... That is, I, it is not natural. Self-control is not a natural thing for me. I do this a lot. Talk a lot. Kind of uncontrollably. Um, eat uncontrollably. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. No, it's just not... It's one of those words that I just... Did, it just had such a negative connotation. I think probably because I heard it so much when I was little. And I was like, it's just not, I just don't want to, kind of want to take it out of my vocabulary. Well, let me tell you that you get it when you have those children and you're like, I've got to tell her no. I've got to, I've got to help her understand that no is okay. In fact, it has to be okay because if I just let Hope go to bed whenever she wants... You know, because she wants to stay up. Mommy and Daddy are staying up. She wants to stay up with us. And no, we can't do that. You got to go to sleep. You got, you know. So lovingly, no is a good thing. Self control is a great thing. But that's when you see yourself grow in those areas through the Spirit. That's exciting. And then to be able to love people in that way, that's exciting. It's an adventure that we're all on, and it's, it, it really is exciting. So transformed by the Spirit about others. Um, did you want to add anything to all that? <laughs> Stuff? You sure? Hello? Okay. Um, I just would love to add... Um, I, I can't emphasize enough what Mandy was saying earlier just about that the answer really is your relationship with the Lord and being able to um, not just get it in your head, but really get it in your heart, how much he loves you. And I told, we were talking about the other day, and I just, I, I was, I'll give the example that helped it click for me. Um, I mean, how many of you really get it in your heart? Wow. Really? Like, how many of you get it in your heart that God loves you? Okay. How, okay. So there are some, like, sheepishly, sheepishly. It's and not some... prideful to admit that you get it. Right. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Come on. Okay. It's not. It's, okay. it's not. Right, and so, but here, and this is what, and I, this is going to sound silly to y'all, but I'm 42 and single and I have two dogs, and I know that dogs are not the same as kids. But because I don't have kids, my dogs have kind of become that, okay? And so over the years, Dixie's seven now, and um, I can remember about three years ago just praying, like, Lord, help me understand how much you love me. I can remember sitting there one day and looking at my big 70-pound lab and, like, going, I just love watching her. 
I just, I just love watching her sleep. Like, she entertains me. I get joy just from watching her. Mm. And it clicked for me. Like, I had these feelings of love that aren't based on anything that she did. And it occurred, and I feel like the Lord brought it to mind. And that is how I love you, multiplied by an infinite amount. And I know that maybe you don't relate to my dog, but you do relate to your kids. And your children, I know that you sit there and look at them when they're maybe sleeping and, um, and, and go... I just love to watch them. Yeah. I love it when they are trying to walk and they're so cute. And I, you just, they don't do anything for you to love them. Your heart burst with feelings of love for them, right? Mm-hmm. Based on what? Nothing. They were valuable to you before, when they were conceived. Not based on anything that they did. And I want you to, I really would just ask you to meditate on how much you love them. And then if you can transpose and just sit for a minute and go, Lord, is that really how you feel about me? Because mm-hmm. now when I think of the Lord, those feelings that I had as I was thinking about how much I loved this little animal... They bubble up for me toward the Lord. And I, it's like I get this. Oh, He loves me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in a way, in an amount that I can't even mm-hmm. grasp. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to encourage you to meditate mm-hmm. on and try to begin in your heart to really mm-hmm. grasp. Like, Lord, ask Him, Lord, how much do you love me? Mm-hmm. Help me understand that. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's crucial, mm-hmm. and not to make it about feelings, but mm-hmm. I do think we have to have a heart understanding mm-hmm. of God, how He, how He, lo- how He, lo- that song, how He loves me. In order to go, wow, insecurity, really? The Creator created me with me in mind. He knew me before the creation of the world, meaning He knew who He was creating. He wired you. He knit you together to be exactly how you are. Mm-hmm. And we have to grasp that. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big, to me, that was a big part, part mm-hmm. piece of the healing puzzle for me. So mm-hmm. that's, all. that's excellent. Excellent. That's great. Mill, you want anything? Do we want to take questions? Is that what we want to do? I don't know. what. Um, Well, one of the things that I've been processing uh, since Sunday when Todd was talking about just the word became flesh Mm -hmm. and what that means. Mm -hmm. And you even mentioned it on, um, what day was that, Wednesday Mm -hmm. uh, morning, that if we understand that, Mm -hmm. then it should wreck our lives. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that, you know, I have really meditated on how much he loves me. Um, or want to understand how much he loves me. But I also think a core that I'm struggling with is just really who God is and mm-hmm. how great he is. And my view of him is so small. Mm-hmm. And so just wondering, um, mm-hmm. sorry. That's great, Katie. <laughs> um, you know, how do you, I mean, I pray for him to reveal himself mm-hmm. to me that I'm just, he's just not big enough. And I just wanted to know kind of what your thoughts were. Because I feel like if I understand that, then his love penetrates mm-hmm. you know 
for me, I think, and I've gotten to wear, and a lot of this, a lot of this has come just in my own healing. <laughs> what was that? Did someone? You got to speak in the mic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I think in my own healing, part of this is, as, as I look back on the last probably 10 years, and community has been a giant part of my healing. Because before it was like I'm praying more, I'm reading more, and God's healing me. But all of a sudden, community gets involved, and just my stuff starts surfacing and bubbling up like crazy. And so God has used the last 10 years to really deal with my stuff and it's felt like discipline and so as I am as he has been healing that Mm -hmm. and I'm getting on the other side of really some hard seasons and I'm like Lord like you really do know best and 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 so I'm beginning to experience this like wow I've been in these seasons of hardship and feeling like a pit and all that and and I'm like your discipline was for my freedom and my holiness. Hebrews 12, he disciplines us so that we may share in his holiness. And it's like as I grasp that and I'm beginning to under, beginning to understand that, it's, it's produced for me a more of a gratitude. And what you're talking about, Katie, is I think just going, Lord, who are you? And really, and I hate to say gratitude list because that sounds sort of trite, but really going, like really meditating on what does it mean that you've created, like, again, I love animals, sorry, but like a giraffe, like for my joy, like look at that, how creative that is. That's crazy. A zebra? A dog? I mean, like I kind of go through these things that make me marvel at mm-hmm. who God is. Mm-hmm. A baby? I mean, let's be honest, that's the biggest miracle of all, right? Mm-hmm. And so I begin to meditate on how big he is and how, in just his general revelation, not to mention the specific revelation of Christ in the Word, but it's like as I meditate on Him and I just begin that process of gratitude, and like, mm-hmm. Lord, thank you for giving me a home to live in, and thank you for that I can walk today. You know? And I begin to really grasp all of the miracles that are evident every single day that I just kind of walk by. I just kind of go, yeah, I can walk, you know, like no big deal. But that's a huge deal that my heart is actually pumping today, right? And so I begin, and this is just my own, I don't know specific answers, but I begin to meditate on all these little things that are actually huge miracles every day, all day. And then I begin to go, oh, my gosh. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. And I could not agree more. Like the other piece of focusing on me, um, that's part of it. Really, you're right. It's focusing on who God is mm-hmm. that gets us to that place. Like you're so big and so awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wowed by that. So mm-hmm. I just think for me, focusing and being and having gratitude.